Hi, I'm Don Mackey and welcome to the Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. This show is focused on providing strategies to empower community success and vitality. Each episode will feature interviews with cutting-edge rural development thought leaders and community practitioners, remarkable entrepreneurs from business, government, and nonprofits, and by sharing the learnings of E2 entrepreneurial ecosystems. Connect with me, learn more about E2, and subscribe to this show at energizingentrepreneurs.org. Welcome to Pathways to Rural Prosperity. I'm Shelley Pesch, Business Specialist and Ecosystem Builder for Kansas Main Street, and I will be your host today. I am joined by the incomparable Don Maggie with E2 Entrepreneurial Ecosystems, hosted by Network Kansas. Don has worked in the field of community economic development throughout North America for over 40 years with a deepening focus on entrepreneur-led economic development. Hello. Welcome, Mr. Mackey. Well, hi, Shelley. It's been a <laughs> while since we've done one of these. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today and particularly the topic. This is exciting what we're doing in 2022, sharing this remarkable story. Well, I'm so thrilled to be a part of it. Absolutely am. I've heard about this throughout your time of working with them. So we will jump right in. And today we are talking about transformative economics. And if you're game, question one, you often talk about a community's responsibility in its own development and success. So why is this observation so foundational in the United States with community economic development? Well, I think it's so important for communities to understand that in the United States, the primary responsibility for a community's development, for its prosperity, really rests with the community. And so it requires that community leaders and builders and residents really step up and build a smart game plan that they embrace this responsibility. They understand. I mean, I, I was just sharing some data recently that, you know, a typical rural community of 5,000 residents has the equivalent of a half a billion to a billion dollar economy. Now, if that was a corporation, that would be a significant corporation. Yet we tend to underinvest, undercommit in our own development. And what makes the United States unique, Shelley, about this is if we look at Canada just to the north, federal and provincial government is much more engaged in working and ensuring the success of rural communities. That's true in the European Union countries and Japan, but in the U.S., you know, if the community doesn't step up at the plate and take this responsibility on, they're kind of at their own risk as to what's going to play out over time. Right. So you and E2 have developed what you call, I'm going to use my air quotes, the hierarchy of community economic development. Can you share with our listeners what this hierarchy includes? You bet, because central to our conversation today is taking on that responsibility, but also understanding how does a community get to the point of transformative change, where it's really on a trajectory of greater success and prosperity, it can sustain its efforts. And so working with our friend and colleague Myland Wall, back in the 1990s is when this work started, Milan conceived of this idea of the hierarchy of community impacts. And we put it into our work with hometown competitiveness, which is one of the earlier efforts around this. And 
Mylan conceptualized that there's five levels of community progress. The first level, and some of this is process and then it moves more to impact. So level one is engaging in strategic activities. You know, really having a smart game plan, doing the things that are not only gonna position you for better community economic development, but build capacity in the community to do that. And then level two is progress outputs. And again, we're using kind of this eco-devo language, but (laughs) just for those of you who can't keep outputs and outcomes straight, I struggle with that. So if you take on opportunity assessment, the output in level two would be you now have insight on what your strategic development opportunities are, something we've talked a lot about. Level three is really the pivot point from process to impact, and that's where the community makes deep commitments. And we'll talk, I'm sure, more today based on your questions about making realistic, robust, and sustained commitments, investments, staff, strategy, programs. When that happens, then we can get to level four, and that's where we start seeing outcomes. And things like we're now helping businesses. These businesses are now growing. They're hiring employees. They're creating tax base. All the kinds of things we want from community economic development. And then level five is the apex. That's where we begin to see in the secondary data from the federal government, from state government, actually transformative change. This community now has more income. It has more employees. It has a larger tax base. And that begins to show up in the secondary indicators. At that point, we know they've achieved transformative change. So the hierarchy is a really important element within our roadmap because, you know, Communities are going, gosh, we're doing all this assessment work. We're doing strategy development. I just want to create economic impacts. Well, it's a means to the end, and it allows the community to discipline itself to do it. So that's what the hierarchy is. It's a central tool in our work, and it's been core to our work with communities across North America. Well, and I know when we say programs, right, that can mean the Main Street approach, economic vitality, strong towns. It could also mean actual programs like Kira Cherie, who has the Entrepreneur Business Basics out of Kansas City, or Jim Carell's Small Business Entrepreneur Economic Development, his SEED course. We're all about the acronyms. So yeah, it can mean a whole approach or it can mean programs itself. So absolutely. In 2020, E2 will be sharing its or Nebraska stories, or you did share. So in 2022, you're going to share it even more. So the Ord story is of a small rural community achieving transformative development and change. So can you introduce the Ord story collection and what our listeners can expect in 2022 as you release the stories? So exciting. Yeah, because this is a remarkable opportunity. We first started working with Horde in the late 1990s. And back in 2019, we made the decision to say, we want to capture this story, which really spans five decades. And it illustrates what's possible with transformative change, kind of employing that hierarchy approach. And it illustrates the progress that this community has made. So over the last three years, We have done statistical analysis, and I'll share some of that. We have conducted 
dozens and dozens of interviews. And by we, we've got a whole team that's working on this. We've produced a new video, a whole set of things. And in 2022, we're going to be rolling this story out. So I'm going to host some guests, Bob Stoll, who's one of the legacy leaders, some of the newer leaders in Ord. And we think this story, even though it's about a community that's relatively rural and relatively small, has implications and meanings for a wide range of communities across North America. So let me just kind of highlight a couple of things. The inspiration for capturing this story really comes from Vaughn Grisham's work with Tupelo, Mississippi. Tupelo, for most folks, is known for being the home of Elvis Presley, the Mm -hmm. entertainer. The mover and the shaker. (laughs) Exactly. But Tupelo's also a story as captured by Vaughn Grisham that was released in his book in 1999 about the transformation of this community from one of the poorest, most distressed rural communities in the South, and for that matter, in the U.S., to a high-performing community. And that inspired people like me, who were you know, still figuring this stuff out. I guess I'm still figuring this stuff out. <laughs> and I go, I think Ord's story, even though different, is on the same scale as Vaughn's story. And this could inspire and inform a whole new generation of community economic developers and communities. So let me just give you the high level and then a little data and we can dig in. So in the 1990s, Ord was a community that was experiencing incremental decline. And you've worked throughout Kansas and you see this in a lot of communities. Population was eroding, fewer businesses, young people were leaving. And in the case of Ord's situation, they were very dependent upon commodity agriculture. And for decades, commodity agriculture was automating innovation, bringing technology in, and simply meant that we needed fewer people in agriculture to produce more. And so the rationale for this community began to erode. And then The 1980s came, Shelley, and the big ag crisis, you know, precipitated by very high interest rates, high levels of debt, some commodity embargoes because of international conflict. And this community got knocked back on its heels like so many communities that are dependent upon commodity agriculture. And, you know, not only did this community lose a lot of businesses, but I mean, it was a personal tragedy. I mean, we remember if you go back and for those that were around the crisis hotlines, the farmers who were taking their lives going, I'm the generation that lost the family farm. And heartbreaking, heartbreaking. But it was also a wake up call for the leaders in Ord to say, if we don't do something, we're going to lose this community. And so we talk about the 1990s as really this call to action. They didn't know what they needed to do, but they entered into what we call the search for solutions. They began to talk to other communities. They began to talk to outside resources. That's how we became involved. You know, they called us and said, can you help? What do we do? Give us direction, for sure. Yeah, and they became one of the first hometown competitors communities. That initiative that the W.K. Kellogg Foundation supported for years that really kind of allowed us to figure out how to do a lot of this work. And 2000 was really the turning point where they began to have not only a game plan, 
but they began to tax themselves, mobilize resource, hire staff, and in the 2000s, they really fulfilled that commitment. So if we go back to the hierarchy, they made real commitments to their own future, and they began to implement that strategy and they began to capitalize it. And then by the time we get into the 2010 period, 2010 to 2021, they achieved transformative change. And so this has been a powerful story and there's tons of lessons and we've got some amazing resources that we can share, but that's not a quick, but that's an overview of why we're so excited that we're gonna be sharing this with people, you know, hopefully throughout the Great Plains, nationally and hopefully internationally. Well, it's a great story for sure. And it gives me goosebumps when I started hearing that and and making sure that, you know, that meaningful community engagement can continue where there's not another recession on something like that to say, oh, well, we lost this under our under our watch. But it is a fantastic story. So you have got to share. Well, you kind of did a little bit of the development journey, right? And Yeah, I um, got ahead of myself, didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's really cool to hear about all of that. So share how ORD has transformed through the entrepreneur-focused community economic development. And maybe as I do that, let me talk a little bit about ORD because not everybody's been to ORD. <laughs> sure, sure. I think I've been there. I've been through there. I for sure know that. Yeah, I mean, for the Central Great Plains, it's a beautiful setting. It's in this river valley. It's a transition between row crop agriculture and the sand hills where we have cow-calf ranching. It's the home to the Calamus Reservoir and the Calamus River, which is an amazing recreational resource in our part of the country. And Ord is a community of about 2,000 people, so it's relatively small. Internationally, we'd look at it and go, it's this insignificant dot on a map. And it anchors a region, a multi-county region of about 2,000 people. So very rural, north-central Nebraska. It's over an hour away from a community with a shopping mall and access to the interstate. So I think it's important for people to understand that if Ord can do this, there's almost any community in rural North America that can do this. And we used the Ord story early on with our work with the Lilly Endowment work in Indiana. And I was doing a, a two-day institute with folks in Terre Haute, which is I've a small metro- yeah, yeah, small <laughs> metropolitan area. And I was worried, would they relate to the Ord story? And their reaction was, oh my gosh, look at what this place is doing. And it's so small. Imagine what we could do. And I'm going, okay, the story, (laughs) they get it, it, the lessons carry. And so, you know, I think part of the the soup, and this is in the paper we're going to share, really goes back to the hierarchy. And that is, they first of all, got help. They got help from neighbors, they got help from outside resources, and they began to ground truth that and formulate a smart game plan. And central to that was really the pillars of HTC. They were going to invest in entrepreneur-focused economic development. They understood that helping existing entrepreneurs succeed, growing new entrepreneurs was the way to build a better economy. 
They invested in mobilizing resources, not only taxing themselves, they passed bond issues, which in a community that had never done this, they passed a sales tax to provide gap financing for business development. That's awesome. I mean, they did a whole set of things. Right. That's huge. That was huge. And and they staffed up. And, you know, even meaning in a putting somebody, I'm sorry, but meaning putting somebody in charge of that. Kind of like Main Street, right? We it's yeah. always one of those we have to make sure that, you know, you're preserving the character of your buildings and your community, but you need to put somebody in charge of doing that. You can't just always say, Hey, it's the city, it's the chamber, it's you know, you need to have a specific group. Is exactly. And in okay. this community, they had never really had economic development staff. So they hired their first community economic developer. They hired some other part-time people, but they also hired Nancy Glopke, who now is the CEO and president of the remarkable healthcare system that they have. Nancy was their first business coach, and Nancy was hired to go out and talk to entrepreneurs, figure out what they needed, and network them to resources, which now is foundational in our E2 model And we learned so much from Nancy's work. So they invested in staffing that also energized a growing number of volunteers that became part. And that made a difference. You got to put money into staffing and volunteers and programs. So they had that game plan. They mobilized resources and they began to build an ecosystem. And one of the other things, Shelley, that we learned from this community is in working with entrepreneurs, they identified what their ecosystem needed to provide. So for example, one of their goals was to create a way for young people to come back or to come to the community, these 20 and 30 year olds. And they realized these 20 and 30 year olds, unless they had family with deep pockets, they did not have the money. In many cases, they had student debt and they had limited experience. So they were passionate, they wanted to do it. And so Ord stepped back and said, how do we make it possible for 20 to 30 year olds to get into business, to buy a business, to start a business? And they then build out their capital and mentoring system that not only could work with a bank, work with the family's capital, work with a gap financing program, which they had because of LB 840, which is their tax, their sales tax that they use for gap financing loans. But they also brought together a group of investors and mentors that could provide equity. So in the case of a lot of these businesses, these investors would buy the building, buy the inventory, buy the fixtures. So they had a an equity position. But then they would lease it back to the new entrepreneurs. And usually within two, three, four years, those young entrepreneurs had bought all of those assets and now owned the business. But they also provided mentoring. How do you really succeed with this business? And so these are some of the formula things that we've learned from Ord that and make it so powerful. it's super simple, right? It's super simple. It's just a matter of stars aligning, everybody being on the same page. And I've got goosebumps from all of that. It is really cool. And for people to honestly set aside whatever differences that may have spawned from, you know, the early 1700s, talk to your neighbors, you know, and I get it. You don't want to duplicate exactly what they're doing next door. But figure out what worked and what didn't work for them. That's the big thing. And when you talk about transformative changes, you know, that's part of the strategy that Main Street does. 
as well. And, you know, we have the four point approach for sure, but I mean, having that effective transformative strategy, that particular customer segment that responds to an underserved market demand. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, back in 2000, the late 1990s, you know, we had learned from Tupelo, we'd learned from other communities, but some of these ideas like business coaching, creating a strong capital access system that's really entrepreneur focused based on what they need to break through and succeed. We had book learning on that, but this was a chance to actually see a community figure out how to do this on the ground. And I tell you, it's just informed our work so much. And what's neat is they've stayed with it. Yeah, that's the big thing. It's grassroots, man. You have to make sure you do that. Now, remind me again, and I apologize. I know you said it in the beginning. How big is Ord population-wise? It's just 2,000 anchoring a region of of 10,000. Yeah. Right. That's awesome. Oh, my gosh. What else you got? Anything? Well, (laughs) I just want to highlight, and again, we can share this with our listeners, but the transformative change, because I think this is important. You know, a lot of communities do neat community economic development. They build a community center and that's great. There's a place now for wedding receptions and alumni groups and community meetings and training. But it's so much deeper than that. Exactly. And so communities are good at doing great projects that contribute, but that doesn't necessarily mean you change the trend lines. And you look at those communities and you go, they got all this neat stuff going on but they're still losing population. They're still losing businesses. Their economy's continuing to contract. Sure, so solve that problem. Yeah, so what's neat about Ord is they have reached level five, intentional transformative change. And I just wanna share a few statistics from our research. First of all, we have documented that they have leveraged nearly, if we just look at the period of 2000 to 2020, And this is just what we could document. Over $250 million of net investment, public and private. Right. Now think about it, a community of 2,000, primarily in Valley County, a county of 4,000. That's an amazing, and that's just what we were able to document. Right. And even in the community that I worked in when I was a local director, we had close to $11 million in seven years. I mean, which was huge for a population of about 10,000 people, you know, and that was public private as well. Yes. Yeah. So 200. Yeah. <laughs> 250 Lord. million. Yes, yeah. You can do that on a per capita and go, how's that possible? But it speaks to the fact that this agenda, this strategy was creating opportunities. So that's one thing. The second is we put together a group of peer communities. We used what you know, this year's Nobel Prize in economics used what they call natural experiments, where you actually look at similar communities and how they performed over time and you compare them. So we put together peer communities that in 20 years ago looked identical to Ord. So in 2000, and we put together a group of communities in South Dakota, Nebraska, and Kansas, because that's kind of the region Ord is part of. And we looked at a whole set of indicators about how they performed. I'm not going to share all of those, so (laughs) don't worry. And we compared them to Valley County. And I just want to hit 
one indicator. So we're looking at the annualized rate of change with proprietorships. So in these rural communities of this size, proprietorships are kind of the mainstay businesses. This is the farms, the ranches, the main street businesses that are locally owned, locally operated, you know, chances are the owner's the person who's running the business, the hardware store, the grocery store, etc. And I just want to share what the annualized rate of change over that 20-year period looks like. So in Ord, it was a positive 0.6% per year. Now, that may not seem a lot, but whenever you have nearly 1% positive growth annually, you can do the compounding and that cumulative makes a huge difference. So their business community, their locally owned business community was getting stronger year in and year out over that sustained 20 year period. Now, if we look at South Dakota, it was positive 0.13% per year. And South Dakota is doing some really neat things. If we look at the peer communities in Nebraska, it was a negative 0.19%. And again, cumulative change when negative means your economy is contracting. And in Kansas, we also saw nearly a 0.67% decline. And so that really speaks to the fact that this community was doing different. There were a couple of other indicators. One is they experienced between 2000 and 2010, nearly a 58% gain in 30 to 34 year olds. They were bringing people back. Yes, yes, yes. They went from a two to an eight sector economy. So they diversified their economy. So by investing in entrepreneurs, they really built out a much more diversified economy. So when in 2000, it was basically ag, commodity ag, and ORD as kind of an area hub community. And today they've got tourism, destination tourism, their healthcare system serves nearly a 17 county region. They've got growth businesses like Subcon, which is one of the largest world supplier of underwater cabling technology. Located in landlocked (laughs) north central Nebraska, (laughs) they have offices in San Diego and the Netherlands. Um, And so (laughs) there's the water. (laughs) So, again, the beauty of entrepreneurship is people pursue their dreams and when they grow their ventures, you create diversity, which, of course, contributes to a better economy. So, you know, when you boil it all down, this transition for transformative change became apparent because they had real investment. They had increased economic activity that resulted in greater job creation a bigger tax base, which meant they had more resources to do more. And that also contributed to philanthropy and private investment. And then we're just now seeing that Ord has stabilized and is beginning to grow its population. And so it's important to understand that this investment, economic activity, jobs comes first. And eventually that leads to demographic renewal. Because in our part of the country, Depopulation continues to be something every year we look at when the census comes out and goes, oh, we lost people again. How many did we lose? So they're just now pivoting and turning that corner. Right. After 20 some years. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And it is. I mean, it's certainly incremental steps. That's another thing that we talk about in, in the Main Street world. And, you know, it has to be comprehensive. And 
you know, just like when we said, you know, growing your expanding tax base and recruiting new businesses, you still have to maintain what you have there, you know, and help them along and maybe convert that unused space into productive property. And wow, Ord, that's impressive. Hooray. Yeah. So it's anyway, we cool. are delighted to announce that we're going to start releasing the full That's collection cool. of story resources, and we really hope people will take the time to learn. There'll be more podcasts, more releases throughout 2022, but this was kind of our launch, and so thank you, Shelley, for hosting this podcast. Woohoo! Yes. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate it very much. So thank you, of course, as being my guest today. So I will ask you to share with our listeners how they can learn more about the Ord story. Yeah. So again, we're going to roll out all of this over the year because there's a lot. So (laughs) with this podcast, we're going to share a few things specific to Ord. One is a paper that provides an overview called Ord, Nebraska, an entrepreneurial community that Myself, David Iaquinta, Kathy Kotwitz, and Bob Stoll, who's this legendary leader in award, contributed to. So we'll be making that paper available. There's two videos we're going to release. One was done by the W.K. Kellogg Foundation in the early 2000s that captured Ord as it was beginning to make these commitments. And then a video that was done by B&B Productions, a Nebraska entrepreneurial company in rural northeast Nebraska, and the Nebraska Community Foundation that was produced this past year that provides the story of Ord now. And so those two quick videos, easy to watch, really provide a great comparison. So we're going to be releasing those. And then, of course, Shelley, as you know, go to our website, energizingentrepreneurs.org. All the resources are there. There is a Ord landing page where you can access these resources. Of course, our network, our newsletter, and then more podcasts to come in 2022. Very cool. Well, it has been great to have you as my guest, and we can do it. All my best, and happy, happy new year to you. What a great kickoff to the new year you've got, right? Yeah, it's exciting because I think if people spend a little bit of time, what we know is those who have looked at this story it helps. It motivates and it inspires, but it also kind of shares the secret sauce. Right. It'll be cool to actually see the stories side by side from early 2000s to now. So that'll be really cool to see. Thank you for all your work. My pleasure. I'm looking forward to our other podcasts in 2022. Thank you, Shelley, for what you do and the chance to be with you today. Absolutely. Have a great day. You bet. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. Head on over to energizingentrepreneurs.org where you can subscribe to this podcast and tap into more than 25 years of field experience from E2 Entrepreneurial Ecosystems. I'm Don Mackey, and I'll see you next time on Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. Mm -hmm.